0: Father God, would you please take now my weak and foolish words and would you speak through your word with great power and authority that we may be set free in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please be seated. well we come to these uh, final verses from Ephesians Ephesians chapter 6 the uh, second reading which uh, Giles read for us Um, Paul wrote this uh, this is a letter Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus uh, about 30 or so years after Jesus died and rose from the dead Um, these verses I love these verses there is so much in them. William Gurnell was a vicar in Suffolk in the United Kingdom. He was a pastor of a church not far from where I was vicar, Um, but he did live in 1655, just a year or two before me. And he published a book about these verses. Well, that's not quite true. He published three books about these verses with 261 chapters and 1471 pages but don't worry I will be briefer just slightly how do we stand when the evil day comes verse 13 speaks of the evil day how do we stand firm in our faith in Christ when we face those tragedies and disasters that life can and does throw at us. Uh, Last week, um, Alison and myself watched The Theory of Everything. It it tells the story of of Stephen Hawkins, a young man with a brilliant, brilliant mind. In the film, he has a fall, he is taken to hospital, And he's diagnosed with motor neurons disease. Um, In one moment his life, his hopes, his assumptions, his future is blown open. He he was not a Christian, he he was a fairly strident atheist for much of his life and maybe this experience reinforced his non-belief in God. But things like this happen to Christians as well as to non-Christians and how do we stand firm in our faith when we face one of the most terrifying death sentences that anyone can be given and how do we stand firm in our faith in Christ in the face of severe opposition or even persecution Paul here speaks of himself as an ambassador in chains. He's in prison. He knew about it. He's been falsely accused, spent fairly, spent quite a number of years uh, behind bars without having been charged specifically with anything. And he is now probably in Rome awaiting trial on a capital charge. But in his letter, he urges the Christians in Ephesus, and he urges us to stand firm. Verse 10, stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 13, withstand on that evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Verse 14, stand therefore. So how do we stand firm? well well, first of all I hope you've got some notes when you came in so you can see where I'm going anyway um, we need to know our enemy our struggle verse 12 is not against enemies of blood and flesh but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places the enemy that we face are not the political authorities not the rulers even when they're opposed to Christ they're not people, even those most hostile, aggressive or evil. We're not fighting blind fate. We fight against an unseen enemy, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We fight against Satan, the devil, the one in who in his pride set himself up as God. He is the tempter. He is the one who would make us question, doubt, the goodness of God, the purpose of God, in order to draw us away from the love of God. When he speaks to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, right at the beginning of the Bible, uh, the, the serpent, the, Satan, says to, to them, Did God say, big question mark, He suggests that God is a spoil sport. God's only in this business to stop you, he says, becoming like God. Uh, And um, uh, he he suggests, he offers Adam and Eve that opportunity to become like God. Uh, And he's described as the God of this world in in 2 Corinthians chapter four. Uh, he, he satan tells us that all that matters is this world he blinds us to god and he blinds us to that world when satan came to tempt jesus uh, in, in the temptations it was all about him urging jesus to use his power to take hold of satisfaction glory and power here and now and he is the destroyer he hates god and he hates everything that god has made and he wants to destroy it and if you or me happen to get in the way well he will happily destroy us as well we're told in the bible about a man who was possessed by demons he lived in a graveyard he was violent against himself and against others. And when Jesus drove the demons out into pigs, the pigs went into self-destruct mode. And don't think of Satan as some rather cute child dressed in red with little horns. He wants to destroy everything that is good and true and beautiful. He destroys relationships He uses us to destroy other people. He compels us to destroy ourselves. Sometimes he does it in spectacular ways. You know, the sort of things we read about in the papers. But more often he does it in ways that are gradual, but just as deadly. In our pride and self-centeredness and anger and fear, we cut ourselves off from other people we shrink into ourselves and we become nothing. So when the day of evil comes, know your enemy. It isn't the person who is tempting or persecuting you. It isn't the incompetent doctor or the inadequate health system. It isn't the political or business apparatchik who's carrying out their superior's orders. It not even the person who gave the order they have been deceived blinded by the God of this world the forces of evil in the heavenly places so secondly then put on the armor that God provides that's how we stand not in our own strength because we can't do it but in God's strength, we're to put on his armour. It's very easy to be seduced into thinking that we need to put our trust in buildings, or in political power, or wealth, or fame, or education, or technology, in gifted or well-known individuals, or even in religious rituals. But actually, we need to put our trust in God to take the armour that he gives us And to put it on. This is an armour that fits. In the Old Testament there's a story about a peasant boy who goes to the battlefront and in the battlefront there's a sort of a Mike Tyson or a a sort of a, a... who's the current world champion boxing world champion at the moment? I don't know, but imagine the world champion who's standing up there and he's defying the armies. He's saying, send out your champion and we'll have a fight. And whoever wins, whoever wins, uh, we'll, 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 we'll say that wins the battle. And nobody from the Israelite side are willing to go out. But this little peasant boy says, but we've got God on our side. So he goes to the king and he says, I'll fight. I'll fight this person. Uh, 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 and the king says okay and gives him his armor but his armor is far far too big for this small peasant boy he can't wear it so he has to take it off but this armor that god gives us is armor that suits us and fits us we put on the belt of truth The belt for the Roman soldier was not something that you put over your armour, something you put underneath. It it gathered the tunic together. It was what held the sword. Uh, You buckle it on and it gives you a sense of hidden strength and confidence. Uh, And the belt of truth could refer to the truth about God, the revelation of God in Jesus and in the scriptures. We buckle ourselves with the truth. That's how the early commentators took it. But I suspect it probably refers more to truth as integrity, sincerity in heart, truth in the inward being. A man called John Stott writes about this passage, the Christian must at all costs be honest and truthful, to be deceitful, to lapse into hypocrisy, to resort to intrigue and scheming. This is to play the devil's game, and we shall not be able to beat him at his own game. You know, Satan is described as the father of all lies. So, Stock continues what he abominates is transparent truth. He loves darkness. Light causes him to fear. For spiritual, as for mental health, honesty about oneself is indispensable and then we dress ourselves in the breastplate of righteousness the breastplate covered both the front and the back it protected all your vital organs again it speaks of two things it speaks about being right we stand firm in the gift of the righteousness of god we've been justified by faith in jesus we have been forgiven we stand before God accepted and not condemned we have been brought into God's family as his adopted children we are right before God even though we are dreadfully wrong and so when your conscience whispers to you that you are not worthy to be a Christian that God would never, could never forgive you, let alone love you. Well, tap your chest and remind yourself that you've been given a breastplate of righteousness. Many Christians cross themselves. It's actually, when you cross yourself, if that is your practice, just remind yourself that this is the breastplate that you are wearing the breastplate that God has given us. It is Jesus' breastplate. It bears the image of the one who made it, it, who crafted it so that it fits you perfectly. And when you put your trust in Jesus, you receive this gift and you became right. But the breastplate of righteousness also speaks of doing right. We stand firm, we fight against the spiritual forces of evil, By doing what is right. So for instance, Paul speaks of the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left hand. And then we put on the gospel boots. Literally, the Greek here says, as shoes for your feet, put on the etoimasia of the gospel of peace. Etoimasia could mean, could mean equipment. Or it could mean readiness. I think equipment makes more sense in the context of this passage. We're to stand firm with our feet rooted in the boots of the gospel of peace. How do I stand on that evil day? I stand on the assurance that Jesus is my peace, He has brought me peace. I'm at peace with God. I have nothing to prove to God I have nothing to merit I simply rest in what he has done for me and also in Jesus I am one with my brothers and sisters in Christ but more than that peace is a gift that God gives to the believer through his Holy Spirit it is something that we can experience It is a peace which passes understanding and when the crises swirl around us we can stand firm in that peace and then we take up the shield of faith faith that childlike trust in Jesus again to quote John Stott for faith lays hold of the promises of God in times of doubt and depression and faith lays hold of the power of God In times of temptation so when the arrows when the darts come the temptations the doubts the lusts the fears I turn to him I cry out to him I throw myself on him and his power that is taking up the shield of faith and we put on the helmet of salvation the assurance of future and present salvation not only for us but for all of creation We place it on our head we've already received salvation forgiveness peace the Holy Spirit freedom from Satan's bondage the tokens of God's presence in communion and baptism a new identity as children of God in the family of God a new purpose and a new identity and a new destiny But we have a confident expectation of full salvation on the last day when we will share in Christ's resurrection glory, in his likeness, and when all of creation will become what it was made to be. And finally, finally we take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. When Jesus was tempted by Satan, he quoted verses from the Bible when jesus was challenged by the pharisees he quoted verses from the bible when jesus was on trial he quoted verses from the bible when jesus was dying in agony on the cross he quoted verses from the bible don't be ashamed of the bible of course non-believers in our culture whether Western or Eastern for that matter, don't accept the authority of the Bible in the same way that they did in Jesus' time. So we can't always use it as an authority with them. But just because people do not accept its authority, it does not mean that it does not have power. It means that people have been blinded it means that when the Holy Spirit is at work in people and they hear those words, those words will come into them and will transform them. And the forces of evil in the heavenly places, will they know the authority and they know the power of the Bible. So I do urge you, as you have probably got fed up of me saying, but I will continue to say it, get to know your Bible. Read it, learn the story of the Bible, as well as the stories of the Bible. Study it on your own and together with others. Learn the promises and warnings and the encouragements and the challenges. Struggle, fight with those bits that you don't understand or find difficult or don't even like. One person comes to see me and brings with him a whole series of questions from a passage That he has read during the week and together we try to understand what is going on what is God saying and then when the evil day comes use scripture use it as a sword to challenge the father of lies we know our enemy we put on our armor of God and thirdly we pray we pray for each other for all the Saints Again, I could say so much more here, but I will keep this brief. Prayer is the living out of our faith and the expression of our dependence, our trust on God. It's the way we put on the armour. It's the way we live as soldiers of Christ. We pray at all times and with all kinds of prayer, with praise, thanksgiving, confession and supplication, we're attentive and alert and we use words and tongues and music and meditation and we're to pray particularly for those who are facing the evil day whether that's because of persecution or fierce temptation or disaster that is why paul urges the christians in ephesus to pray for him he's facing the evil day as he sits in prison Maybe he thinks ahead to his trial and he's gripped with fear. So he asks them to pray, not if you notice that he'll be released, not that he will be kept safe, but that he will remain faithful to Jesus, that he will know what to say and that he will have the courage to say it. Of course, we pray that we will be spared. But the reality is that each one of us, each of us, will face the evil day. The prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, that we pray in the Lord's Prayer, is not a prayer that we will never face temptation. Rather, it's a prayer that we will never face a temptation that is too big for us. That is what God has promised. It's a prayer that we will not be overwhelmed by Satan or by the spiritual forces of evil. And when that day comes when that day comes we have been given all that we need we know who our enemy is we fight that enemy in God's strength we put on his armor and we're part of his people we pray we pray for each other we throw ourselves on the mercy of and power and love of God. Amen.